please do join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to John chapter 6. And Rob, thanks for the uh, good words introducing that hymn we just sang. I mean, that pretty much summarized everything I was about to say, so um, that was good. Uh, uh, Again, we need to hear the same thing over and over again, don't we? Um, Before we uh, spend a few moments in God's Word, let's go to Him and ask for His help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we need revelation from the outside, and we need transformation on the inside. So, Father, be pleased to use your word and spirit to grow us, to satisfy us in the true longing that you have given us. Father, be pleased to grow your people now in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, for we pray in his name. Amen. Well, again, we are at week number two in our new series. Um, We're headed now to the first of the seven I am statements in John. As I mentioned last week, I'm going to repeat it again as we get going in this short series. Uh, We hear a lot about identity uh, these days. Uh, There seems to be a cultural moment um, here, at least in the Western a world of uh, proclaiming our own self-determined identity. And it's considered a basic right before you were the son or the daughter of so-and-so and you were in this place and you were going to do this. But, but now it's, it's, those constraints are off. You're, you're going to be, as it were, who you want to be. There's an, indeed a movement, an atmosphere of expressive individualism. This is who I am. Indeed, that should bring us in in one way or another to that central question that Jesus asked. You know, to be sure, we've got lots of questions about a lot of things. We've got questions about God's word. We've got questions about God's goodness But you know, in in Scripture, we also see that Jesus has questions of us. He had questions of his audience then. He has questions for his audience now. And and there's a central question that Jesus asks. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? A number of us have read through Gentle and Lowly, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers, and the author makes this important point that it's the one place in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the one place where Jesus, as it were, opens up his heart and says, this is who I am. I am gentle and lowly. There's also a place where Jesus tells us who he is in his own words, and in one sense, every time Jesus speaks and the The authors of the Gospels have recorded that for us. It's Jesus telling us about himself. But but unique to John are these seven statements of self-identification where Jesus says, I am. Interestingly, also John is the one place where you have these seven signs, signs or miracles in particular that point to Jesus as the promised Messiah. But you know what these seven statements are, right? 
the bread of life we're going to look at today. Next week, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd. Last week, we looked at the resurrection and the life. A few weeks, we'll consider the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, wrapping up with Jesus' declaration that I am the true vine. Jesus uses these images and figurative symbols. I mean, there's bread, light, shepherd, vine as a way of making himself known. Interestingly, seven times Jesus tells us directly, yet indirectly, who he is. These seven help us understand who Jesus is, what he came to do, and also how we should relate to him. The central, the dominant, the governing relationship of the Christian life is the relationship that the Christian has with Jesus. What we think about Jesus should be, of course, determined by what Jesus says about himself. I think that's worth repeating. What we think about Jesus should be determined by what Jesus thinks about himself, what he tells us about himself. Last week, as I mentioned, we skipped ahead to Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life in order to ride the wave of the resurrection from Easter and the week after Easter. Well, today we're going back to the beginning, to the, to the first I am. I am the bread of life. What's your response to the expression, it's a matter of life and death? When you hear somebody say, that this is a matter of life and death, what's your response? Well, if it's not overused or abused, but used appropriately at the right time in the right place, I think that expression tends to cause us to wake up, to take notice, to pay attention. Again, to be sure, it could be overused, it could be abused. But this really is a matter of life and death. You see, what someone thinks about Jesus, how someone relates to Jesus, really is a life and death matter. John, the writer of the fourth gospel, uh, the one who interestingly, he refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved, focuses on the theme of life. At the end of John, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, you have a purpose statement, a conclusion, a concise summary for the overall book. And and this is a call to faith that leads to life. And and that statement, that conclusion, uh, really does serve to provide the overall context for all of the seven I am statements of Jesus. Here's what John says in John 20 verse 31, but these things are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That by believing you may have life in his name. And John is going to unfold what that life is, that abundant life, that eternal life. And then when he writes his first letter toward the end of 1 John, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In John, he's writing so that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And here in 1 in John, he's writing 
so that they would be assured that that faith leads to eternal life. Well, today we're going to spend a few minutes in John chapter 6, really looking at verse 35, but to really set verse 35 in context and to to get us uh, going in our understanding, I'm going to go ahead and read um, verses 25 through 51. So if you do have your Bible um, out and open, please follow along as I read John 6, beginning in verse 25. When they found him, that is Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he is who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, two times Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He also calls himself 
the living bread. What does he mean when he describes himself like this? Well, our approach to understanding what Jesus means will be to ask and answer, at least attempt to answer, three questions about the bread of life. What is it? Where do we get it? And what do we do with it? Three questions. What is it? Where do we get it? And what do we do with it? What is it? Well, the context, of course, is this is coming on the heels of the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle that you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a sign. It's pointing out that Jesus is the promised Messiah. But here, after Jesus makes it, his disciples make a trip across the lake, the, the disciple, uh, Jesus makes the trip, the people find out where he is, they come to him. Now he's going to be teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So what is it? What is it? I am the bread of life. Well, it's a metaphor. It's important to remember that when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it's a, it's a metaphor. It's figurative language in the Bible. Taking it literally means here, taking it literarily. You know, a metaphor is a literary figure of speech that describes a subject by asserting that it is, on some point of comparison, the same as another otherwise unrelated subject. Jesus is talking about himself. He's going to be talking about bread. He's using a metaphor. I mean, think about Shakespeare in his play, As You Like It. The monologue begins like this. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. Well, so just as Shakespeare wants us to better understand the world and people, their actions in the world by thinking about a stage on which actors perform, so also Jesus wants us to get to know him by thinking about bread. The bread, a powerful image because in this day and time, it is an absolutely important aspect of life in a pre-industrial society. Where, where does food come from? People wanted to know, what are we going to eat? Why do we work? We work to earn money to buy bread. It's the power of an image that bread is life-giving and life-sustaining. There's a lot of different delicacies. Some people like this, some people like that, but bread, bread was for everyone. The pursuit of food was at times the main effort in, of life. Think about Ruth and gleaning the fields. Had to have food in order to survive. You, you, you labor and you toil and there's uncertainty. But it's to get food. It's, it's bread, a powerful image. And it's bread of life. Now, what do we mean by life? There's three words in particular used in the original language, Greek, for life. You've got bios, you get biology, you get psyche, you get psychology, and you get zoe. And it's, it's, it's zoe here. It's... It's, it's zoology, it, it's more than life, it, it, it's more than existence, it's, it's this quality of life, it's, it's not just dead or alive, it's how alive, it's real living. 
You've heard the expression, now that's real living. It means the difference between existence and, and living. You see, hell, people will be existing in hell. They'll be, as it were, living in hell, but it's, it's an existence, not a life. Heaven is, is eternal life. It's, it's that ultimate life. Everyone is working for the bread. In fact, I think I heard you pray, Rob, about a breadwinner, right? The primary breadwinner. I mean, is there any reason why a nickname for money, at least in the 60s and 70s, was right? Bread. I don't have any bread. Don't have any money. So central. So central. Life. Everybody's looking for something, right? Everybody's worshiping something, living for something, finding their ultimate security and satisfaction in something or someone. There's options. You've got to find life somewhere. The great church father, Augustine, in his confessions, wrote this, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Augustine, when he came to faith in Christ, he realized that he was now finding what he had been looking for or what he had been looking for found him. He knew he was empty, though he had tried to fill his life with this, that, and the other. But when he met Jesus, that, that emptiness was no longer there. That he was satisfied. So our initial question was, what is it? And what's fascinating is our text refers to manna in the wilderness that God had provided. And you know what literally in the Hebrew, the original language manna means? What is it? That's what manna means. What is it? It was a provision from God in the wilderness to sustain his people. And we could talk more and more about that and how it was daily and you couldn't gather too much or it would spoil. And the day before the Sabbath, you gathered twice as much. We could talk a lot about that, but Jesus is connecting, of course, the history of God's people with, with himself. In a similar manner, the people around him are having a hard time recognizing that he is God's provision. They're asking the question, who is he? Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. Okay, so this is what Jesus is talking about when he uses the expression, the bread of life. Well, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want the bread of life? Well, let's now listen to Jesus as he talks about where this bread of life is found. Uh, where do we get it? What is it? Now, where do we get it? Or where do we find it? Or how do we obtain it? If you look at just the history of the world and you think of the Eastern world and the Western world, the Western world is, is trying to find this, this thing maybe in ideals, in intellectualism, in, in philosophy. In, in the Eastern world, maybe more trying to find this thing that satisfies in a, in a force, a, a mystical. And Jesus is kind of right in the middle of these 
what will eventually you'll see in the Greeks and the Romans of Western and Eastern ideals and kind of a mystical force. People are searching for life. They're trying to find it. And while people search for it, they get lost, right? They get lost in work. They get lost in maintaining a reputation. They get lost even in, in friendships. As good as friendships are, friendships become ultimate. And yet Jesus is talking about something that is coming from the outside. Bread from above, coming down from above. And he's going to talk about both the giver and the gift. Look at verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Where do you get it? Where do you get this bread of life? It's given to you. It's given to you. Jesus not only says that this bread of life is given to you, in other words, in the context of labor and work, you receive it as a gift. He not only says that, but he elevates it, right? To himself being the gift itself, right? We heard it before in verse 35 and 48. I am the bread of life. The Son of Man gives it. The Son of Man is giving himself. It's, it's fine. It's, this bread of life is found in Jesus because he is the bread. People need something more than just physical bread to satisfy that deepest hunger. He, he gives the bread because he's giving himself. In so many words, he's saying, what you're looking for is found in me. I think it's important to stop and remind ourselves that Christianity is radically personal, right? At the center of the Christian faith is Jesus, right? Fully God, fully human. A human being who cried, laughed, got angry for the right reasons, suffered. It's not a doctrine only, it's personal. So ask yourself every now and then this, this question, what's my relationship with God like? Is it a business relationship? Is it transactional? God, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. I think many of us at times get into a business relationship with God. God owes us. I work, he pays. I don't work, he doesn't pay. But Jesus is, is reminding by drawing attention to himself that no, no, no. Your relationship with God is going to be through me. It's personal. Some of us have a business cell phone. Some of us have a personal cell phone. Some of us have both. What's your relationship with God? Is it business is it personal? Okay, so now we know where to get this bread of life. It's given and it's in Jesus. What do we do with it once we have it? Well, think with me about the purpose of bread. What do you do with bread? Bread is eaten 
to provide nutrition, to keep us alive. Jesus is saying that just as bread sustains physical life, so I sustain spiritual life. This is coming on the heels of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And they pursued Jesus, like he said, because they wanted more of that. They're going to get more of him. So let's explore the question now, thirdly. What do we do with it? It's been given to us. Jesus himself is the bread of life. He's the gift. What do we do with it? You know, I said a moment ago that just bread itself is a powerful image, right? But it's not just the bread, it's the eating of the bread. And this is where the image really becomes powerful. You see, the Christian life is a lot like eating, right? Yeah, we walk by faith, right? But the Christian life is a lot like eating. How do you feed on this bread? By coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus. In other words, by faith. What must we do to do the works God requires? What a great question, right? It's what the people ask Jesus. What must we do to be doing the work God requires? And what does Jesus say? What's the work? To believe. To believe. Faith is taking God at his word and living in the confidence of his word, of his truth. See, Jesus is saying, and he'll say this more and more throughout John, that I have a life that is meant to be brought into you and to be made part of you. What do you do with bread? You eat it. You digest it. In his Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin in book three, and the book three is entitled, The Way in Which We Receive the Grace of Christ, What Benefits Come to Us from It and What Effects Follow. In the opening chapter, this is what Calvin says. We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. So kids, the bread has been given to you. And you acknowledge that it's been given and Jesus is identifying himself as bread to help us understand a bit of the mystery. And what what do we do? We eat the bread. We, we digest the bread. You see, coming to Jesus, believing in him is a lot like digestion. We consume, as it were. How? Jesus, by his spirit, comes into us and becomes part of us. I'm beginning to realize, much to my dismay, that I am what I eat. I think all of us, if we look in the mirror, right, over time, we see we are what we eat, right? It's a biological process, right? Think about your car. 
The gas goes into the car, it's in the tank, it circulates, there's combustion and there's power, right? Jesus' life in you changes your life. Eating is personal. So is your relationship with Jesus. You feed on Jesus by faith. There's that energy of that food. It circulates. It explodes. It influences. It powers you. So what do we do with it? We certainly don't just look at it. We don't just say, yes, that's bread. No, it's got to become a part of us, right? We, we eat it. Think with me for a moment about the bread that we eat. The wheat. The wheat dies so that we can live. You see, before we even digest the bread, something else has to happen, right? The wheat dies. All of our food, I'd say mostly, although there may be some instances where somebody is eating something living, but most of our food is dead before we eat it. Jesus is saying a lot. In fact, he is saying so much that in this that it would take us a lifetime to really explore the depths of this. But just as our food, that bread that we eat, has to die before it does us any good, Jesus is already looking ahead to his own death, knowing that he will die so that others will live. See, a Christian is many things, and you could describe a Christian in many ways, but a Christian is someone who feeds on Jesus through the means of grace, through prayer, through the word, through fellowship. My friends, this bread of life is not to be admired from a distance. It's to be brought in close and taken in. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. It's a powerful picture, a, a powerful image of who Jesus is and, and what he came to do. Turn with me again to verse 35. There's the statement of Jesus. I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying here, I am the food that really satisfies was it snickers that had that snickers really satisfies maybe for about 10 minutes and then the sugar rush leaves you right jesus is saying i am the food that really satisfies you long for acceptance you've got it in me you long for meaning i'll give it to you you want joy in your life my joy is going to be complete in you. You want purpose in life? You'll find it in me. I am the food that not only really satisfies, I'm the food that leads to eternal life. Not just unending existence, but life. Full life. Free life. Life as it was meant to be before it was ravaged by sin. And what do people do in response, verse 41, they grumbled about him. 
And what does Jesus say? Do not grumble among yourselves. Later in John 6, Jesus will say, you're taking offense at what I'm saying? It's a hard saying. Do you also want to leave? But similar to John eleven twenty five, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, this statement, notice, is immediately followed by a promise. And what is that promise? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Once again, we are reminded that Christianity is inclusive and exclusive. Christianity is exclusive, but it's inclusive, right? It's inclusive, whoever. Can you all think of anybody that's outside of whoever? Whoever. It's incredibly inclusive. But my friends, Christianity is also exclusive, right? Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, Now, last week, with the resurrection and the life, we read where Jesus says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? This question is not directly stated, but it is everywhere in our text. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus and Jesus alone offers Himself as the only avenue, the only vehicle, the only way to life. Because that's what our text, that's what God is asking all of us. He's asking me this Do I believe this? Do you believe this? In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Who's the Lord's Supper for? Believers. Believers. My friends, the death of Jesus gives us life. That bread will be broken and that bread will be given. And it gives us life. So come to Jesus. Believe in him. Coming to Jesus, you will no longer hunger. You'll be satisfied. Believing in Jesus, you will no longer thirst. Your thirst will be quenched. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness in helping us understand the mysterious reality through the reality of what we can taste and touch and feel and smell. 
Father, we, we need what only Jesus can provide. He indeed is the resurrection and the life, and he indeed is the bread of life. Father, help us more and more to find our satisfaction in him. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes.